All right, if you are new here, we are in the middle of our summer series through uh, a letter in the Bible called Philippians. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul uh, from prison to a church that he started in a city called Philippi. Now, Paul was suffering greatly for his faith in Jesus, but in the middle of all of it, he just has this incredible perspective, right? He's able to find uh, joy and purpose even in his pain and suffering. And so what he's saying to us as believers through this letter is, Christian, you can have that too. You can have that kind of life through Jesus, where you're just full of joy and full of fearlessness regardless of your circumstances in life. And I don't know about you, but that, man, that is the kind of life that I, that I long for. I want just a life anchored in something so strong, not in myself, but outside of myself, in God, that my life is just unflappable. Like good days, bad days, good seasons, seasons of suffering in my life just filled with joy and filled with fearlessness. And what Paul is saying in this letter to believers is you can have that life in Jesus. Now we're gonna be camping out in chapter two this morning of the book of Philippians. And so if you have a Bible I would encourage you to go ahead and grab it, open it up to Philippians 2, turn it on your device. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to work through uh, verse 18 this morning, okay? This is the Apostle Paul writing to these Philippian Christians who uh, are suffering, going through a lot because of their faith in Jesus. And Paul says, therefore, all right, let's pause right there. When you see that word, therefore, that means because of. And so what Paul is doing is he is pointing us back to what he just said. If you were here last week, we left off with one of the most beautiful Christological passages in all of Scripture, right? Where Paul essentially says, listen, remember, because of what Jesus did for you. Now, what did Jesus do for us? He told us. He humbled himself. He left the riches of heaven and came into this busted up world of ours, not not as like a king in a palace, but born into filth and to a lower class family. He spent his childhood on the run as a refugee. And then he willingly suffered and died a brutal death, though he was innocent, though he was blameless, no sin in his life, he died a brutal, bloody death for you as a penalty for your sin. And Paul is saying he did all of that for you. This is the gospel. You need to remember that. This is your savior. This is the character of your God. So because of that, therefore, because of that breathtaking truth about Jesus, and Paul's gonna continue, so he says, therefore, my beloved. Okay, pause there again. Now I promise we'll pick up the pace in a a minute. We won't be here to midnight. This is a term of affection when he says, my beloved. I told you, I think that the Philippian church was hands down Paul's favorite church. Man, he, he loved these brothers and sisters in the Philippian church. And so he's going, guys, because I know what I'm about to say to you may be hard, I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to remember what Jesus has done for you. I want you to remember the gospel. And so I want you to just remember that what I'm about to say to you, even though it may be hard for you to hear, it comes from a deep place of love from me to you. So he says, therefore, my beloved, 
as you have always obeyed. Now, hit pause again right there. Just kidding. Now, we're going to keep on going. As, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, Paul just dropped a truth grenade in that one sentence. And theologians and pastors have grappled with the aftermath of this explosion of this one statement for centuries. Now, here's the first thing that we can't miss here. Paul, Paul connects our obedience with our salvation. And he goes, as you have always obeyed God when I was with you, now even more in my absence, I want you to obey Jesus. And then he connects our obedience with our salvation. Now, if we're being honest, most of us would have to admit this morning that we hate the concept of obedience, don't we? I mean, from the time that we come out of our mother's womb, we hate it. If you have a toddler, if you've ever had a toddler, if you've been in the store with a toddler, you know that the word no will set off a toddler like you wouldn't believe. Right? They will go nuclear on you, right? They will throw temper tantrums like you wouldn't believe. Why? Because they don't want to obey. Right? They, they come out of the womb sinners. Now, things don't change much as we grow up. We get a little bit better at masking our temper tantrums, but most of us hate to be told to obey anything. Confession time this morning. Listen, if, I, if I'm somewhere and, uh, and I see a sign that says, don't sit here, don't stand here, don't touch this, guess what I usually do? <laughs> I'm thinking in my mind, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my boss. I'm gonna pet that giraffe in the zoo, all right? I paid my entry fee. It's right here. If I wanna pet it on the neck, I'm gonna pet it on the neck, all right? I'm not driving 25 miles an hour in this zone. That's ridiculous. Should be at least 45 in this zone. And Paul is saying, listen, that is, that is a, Chris, that is a sign of immaturity. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, this is actually our distaste of obedience, our hatred for obedience is actually a huge red flag. Because what Paul's gonna say is that if you love Jesus, you will follow him and you will obey him. Now, not, not, not perfectly, but that is your deepest desire. Your deepest desire is to live for him and to please him. Jesus himself says twice in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Twice, in the same chapter, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And so Paul wants us to see this connection between obedience and genuine salvation. And so that's truth number one this morning. If you're a note taker, write this down. Authentic salvation generates obedience to Jesus. Now, not flawlessly, we don't become sinless the day that we decide to cast our lots with Jesus and follow him, but that becomes our heart's greatest desire. And I want to be careful. Here, here's what Paul is not saying, okay? I want you to hear this clearly. Here is what Paul is not saying. He's not saying obey to earn your salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying obey to earn it. He's saying obedience is a fruit. Obedience is an overflow of salvation. And then Paul says something really fascinating. He goes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Now, I used to read that verse as a kid and even as a young adult, and it would absolutely terrify me. I going to have like nightmares about this. Like junk, man, I, could, I guess I better be really good or Jesus is like gonna take back my salvation. Like Jesus is, is up in heaven sitting on his throne thinking, yeah, Chris, you know, like I saved you. I died on the cross to pay for your sins and I, I know you love me, man, but I, I didn't realize how jacked up you really were. I guess I'm gonna just like, ah, gonna have to take that back and give it to somebody who's a little better behaved than you are. Is that what Paul is saying here? You better, you better work out your salvation. You better work for it or Jesus might take it away from you. No, it's not, not at all what he's saying. In fact, this word for work out your salvation is the idea of bringing something to completion. Now, it's kind of like, uh, think, think about working out physically. You know, for, for a lot of us, as we age, uh, we, <laughs> we get up and we look in the mirror one day and we go like, how did that happen? You know, how did that happen? I used to have a six pack, now I have a keg. This is, this is not good. This is not good at all. And so we begin to work out, we begin to eat in a healthier way to bring to completion a healthier body. And this is what Paul is saying we ought to do in our spiritual journey. We should work out our salvation. Now isn't that a little bit weird, at least on the surface, that God, God saves us and then he calls us to bring it to completion. Like, what is that about? Is it up to me to finish my salvation? Like, Jesus did 95% of it on the cross in the empty tomb, and then he, like, tags me in. He's like, Chris, you got it, 5%. You gotta finish it up for me. So I'm telling you right now, even if it's only 5%, I'm in deep, deep trouble if it's on me. And by the way, isn't that, like, the opposite of the gospel? Like, the opposite of the gospel. I want you to listen to what uh, Paul wrote to another church in, a, in another city called Ephesus. This will be on the screens for you. And I'm gonna read this to you because I think it, it shines a light on what he's saying in Philippians. He says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not your own, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the good works don't save us, but salvation produces in us a life of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God gives salvation. It's a gift. And by the way, if it's not ours, we can't earn it, and we sure as heck can't lose it. But this gift of salvation will produce a life of working it out, a life of good works. We are created for that. And Paul is saying, believer, you saw what Jesus did for you. You saw what he did. Apply that to your life. Apply that to your faith so that it's not just words for us. It's also in our deeds, in our actions. Work it out. Make it visible to the world around you. And Paul adds, do this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is, this is Paul's way of saying, this is serious. This is serious. Like, take this seriously. That your salvation, your relationship with God is the singular most important thing in your life. That's why I get uncomfortable with things like 
um, I mean, I'm not trying to dog on everything like this or, or be legalistic in any kind of way, but a few years ago, there was a, a popular slogan that came out on T-shirts and stuff, um, kind of in church circles, and uh, you maybe saw it. Maybe you had one of these, but the shirt said, Jesus is my homeboy, right? And like, I, I get the point of that. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He calls us a friend. I, I, I get that. But church, I want, I want you to hear me. Jesus is the king of this universe. He is not your homeboy. He is either the Lord and savior of your life or he will one day be your judge. This is not a joke. Your salvation is not a trivial matter. He's saying, take it seriously. Live it out, work it out. Flesh it out in your life in a tangible way. Now, how do we do this? Where do we get the power for this? He tells us in verse 13, he says this, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul goes, look, you can work out your salvation. You can make it visible to the world because God is working it in you. And that is the key both to will and to work for his good pleasure, meaning God is the one who can give you the desire and the ability to live for him, and that gives him good pleasure for that to happen in your life. He is the power source. Christian, your salvation belongs to him. It is his gift to you. He is working it in you, and that allows you to work it out. So he says, live it out in a visible way, in a tangible way. And you go, Chris, well, which is it, man? Is it God working or is it me working? Is it human responsibility or is it God's sovereignty? Yes. Yes. God gives salvation and we are to work it out. The best analogy I've ever heard is this. it's kind of like riding a bike, right? If you could imagine a bike, a bike has uh, two pedals, right? God works, we respond. God convicts, we repent. God puts a desire in our hearts. We obey that desire that he puts in our hearts. And I think Paul's primary concern here is a concern that I have as a pastor, and that, that's this, that, that Christians tend to go to one of two extremes on this doctrine of salvation, right? And so there are some Christians who would say, God has saved me. It's all him. It's done. I have my fire insurance and so I can live however I want. And you end up with lazy Christians, or worse yet, you end up with people who think they're Christians when they're really not. And on the other hand, you have a group of Christians who are like, they just get so worked up about it. They're like, man, I guess I gotta, I gotta work it out, I gotta try harder, I gotta be good enough, I gotta follow the rules more perfectly. And they live these anxiety-filled lives trying to earn the salvation that Jesus has already earned for them. And Paul is going to both extremes. He's going to say, no, God puts it in you. It is a gift. It is his, but it is your responsibility to work it out. It's your responsibility to make it visible so that those around you can see that Jesus really makes a difference in a person's life. God gives, God completes but he calls you to work. Our faith is more than words. Paul is calling us into the fight. He's, he's calling us to ask the hard question every day of, 
man, how, how is what Jesus has done for me, how is that going to affect the way I love my spouse today? In light of what Jesus has done for me, how is that going to change the way that I parent my kids today? How is that going to change what I do or what I don't do with my boyfriend or girlfriend when we go on that date Friday night? How is the gospel going to affect what I look at online when nobody's around? It is, it is fleshing it out. It is working out your salvation in real and practical ways. And I want you to hear me say that this, this morning, friend. Christianity, the Christian faith, is not just an intellectual belief. This is an active faith that we are called into. We are to work in light of what Jesus has done for us and in us. The gospel is a call to action. And so truth number two this morning, I think Paul would say to us, Christian, work out the salvation that God has worked into you. Work out what God has worked in. And people at times will ask me, Chris, how do I know? How do I know that I belong to Jesus? How do I know that I'm really a Christian, that I'm saved? I typically will ask them something like, listen, do, does your life give evidence? Not, not perfection. We're not talking about perfection. Nobody is perfect. But does your life give evidence that there is something in you to work out? I mean, is there a desire in you, a deep-seated desire in you to obey Jesus? to follow him with your life? Is that your primary desire or is your primary appetite in life for sin? And if your primary desire, appetite in life is for sin, friend, you need a new heart. But if your primary desire in life is to love and follow Jesus, even when you fail, that is God in you, right? Because that desire is not natural. That is supernatural. One of the most incredible things that happened to me as a brand new Christian at 20 years old, um, I didn't, I did, for the record, I didn't stop sinning. I know that might surprise some of you. I didn't stop sinning. Still struggle with sin every, every single day. But here, here's what happened. I began to hate my sin. I began to hate it. So stuff that I used to do and I wouldn't think twice about it, now I would do it and it would wreck me. And stuff that I never wanted to do, all of a sudden now I wanted to do. Like read the Bible and pray and go to church. Like I hated doing that stuff. And now I wanted it. Man, I was hungry for it. I wanted to, I wanted to know what God had to say for me. And I wanted to have a relationship with him. And I wanted to gather with other people that were trying to grow in Christ. I wanted that. God changed my desires. Paul says, you work it out. You work out what God has already worked in you. That's what he's saying. Christian, you cannot lose your salvation, but here, here's my concern. There are many people that never had it in the first place. Which is why Paul says, you consider this matter with fear and trembling. You don't work for your salvation, but if you are saved, you will work. That is clear. And if I can be really honest with you this morning, here, here's my concern for a great many people in our nation and in our culture, especially if you grew up in the South, especially if you grew up in the, the Bible Belt. There, I think there are a lot of people that just kind of think, well, I walked an aisle, 
at a church when I was six years old. I said a prayer when I was eight years old at, at, at VBS, and so I have my fire insurance. And I just want to ask him, do you? Do you? Are you certain of that? Are you willing to stake your life on that, friend? If some pastor told you that praying a prayer makes you a Christian, he lied to you. There is not a single thing in the whole of Scripture about walking an aisle at church or repeating some magical prayer that we call the sinner's prayer. Not one. I've read the whole thing. It's not in there. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those things. I understand that those things can be like an outward way to show what God is doing inside of us, but none of that is found in Scripture. And so many of us are banking on some experience like that as being the evidence of our salvation. And I think Paul would say to us, listen, the question that you ought to ask yourself is this. If I'm not working out my salvation, has God ever worked salvation into me? Peter would say it this way. The apostle Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 10. This will be on the screens for you. Peter says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling, confirm your election, which is another way of saying salvation. He's not saying earn it. Jesus clearly did that. He's saying make sure you actually have it. Make sure you're working out what God has worked in you. Live it out. And then Paul gives us some hints about what that looks like. Verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now that word grumbling in the original language carries the idea of discontent or complaining. Have you ever been around a grumbler? You know the person, don't you? If you don't, it's probably you. If you're thinking, man, I don't know any grumblers. Why are, why are we even talking about grumbling? This is dumb. It's you. You're the guy Paul's talking about. These are the people that just complain about everything. Nothing is ever good enough for them. They have a critical spirit. And church, I want you to hear me say this. Having a critical spirit is not a spiritual gift. I take that back. Maybe it is a spiritual gift, but it's not from the spirit of God. And that other word that he uses there, besides grumbling, is disputing. That's translated as questioning. It's like someone who stands in the corner and quietly judges with a kind of evil intent or evil thoughts in their heart. This is the person who's constantly like, why? Why me, God? Why don't you give me this? Why don't you give me that? Why are the drums so loud? Why does the preacher always have that stupid goatee? Why isn't, why isn't everyone exactly like me? Why can't I find any friends? I can't figure it out. Why, why, why? Inward discontentment and questioning. Paul is saying, grumbling and disputing, Paul says, listen, if you're working out your salvation, if you're working it out, if you want to be blameless and innocent in a twisted generation, if you want to shine like lights in the world, you must crucify this in your heart. You must kill it relentlessly. You want to know why? 
because you cannot love Jesus well while you are grumbling and complaining. It is incompatible with the gospel. Is there anything more hypocritical than someone who says, yeah, Jesus changed my life. Jesus has forgiven me of much. Jesus has given me a new heart, but grumble, 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 grumble. Complain, complain, complain. Wine, wine, wine. And I am certain that one of the biggest hurdles that people in our culture have to get over in order to get to Jesus is grouchy, grumpy, grumbly Christians. If they're not complaining about something in the church, they're complaining about the government. If they're not complaining about the government, they're complaining about how slow their waiter is at the restaurant. If they're not complaining about how slow their waiter is at the restaurant, they're complaining about how expensive a gallon of milk is or whatever other goofy thing they can think about. And the world looks at that and goes, that's what following Jesus does to someone? No thanks. Yeah, I'm good. I don't need that. So truth number three from the text this morning is this. Christian, how you live matters. How you live matters. Now, what you believe is important. We take right doctrine and accurate biblical theology very, very seriously at New Life. But it ne- listen to me, it never ends with what we believe. How we live matters. And understand, understand this, Christian, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers, your friends are watching you. Is your life, is your attitude, are the words flowing from your mouth telling them that Jesus actually makes a difference in somebody's life? Or do they look at you and listen to you complain and whine about everything and they go, man, like that person is miserable. Like I don't need that Jesus stuff. People are watching. How you live matters. Jesus shines through his people when faith is tangible. And so work out your faith in real and practical ways. Okay, Paul, this is, this is hard. How do we... How do we live like this? He's gonna tell us beginning in verse 16. Listen to this, this is the key. Paul says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, if you want to live this life of working out your salvation, of letting the light of Jesus shine into the darkness, you better hold fast to the word of life. It reminds me of the words of of Peter when Jesus turned back to his disciples when everybody was leaving him, the crowd was leaving him, they were abandoning him, and he looks back at his disciples and he says, are you guys gonna leave too? You remember Peter's response? Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. And for us, this word of life, this logos, is recorded for us in this ancient book we call the Bible. This is God's very word to us. It is life. And that is the last truth this morning. Number four, God's word fuels our ability to shine into the darkness. Christian, understand this. I promise you, if you are not in the word on a consistent basis, your life will not shine. 
It won't. As a pastor, I, I would guess, um, man, when people come to me with like spiritual discouragement or a pattern, a struggle of sin in their life, if I ask them if they're in the word, at least nine out of 10 times, their answer is no. At least nine out of 10 times, probably more. And Paul is saying, believer, you better learn to hold fast to the word of life. This is your life source. You say, man, well, reading's just not my thing, Chris. Okay, that's a really weak excuse, but I'll allow it, fine. There are so many Bible apps out there now that will read the scripture to you while you drive, while you're in the shower in the morning, apps that you can read in your lunch break or listen to you. The Read Scripture app is fantastic. I just downloaded a brand new one last week called Dwell. It's the most amazing Bible app I've ever opened. It's amazing. There is so much out there. There is literally, there is no excuse for us not to be bathing ourselves in the truth of God's word on a consistent basis. I'm, a, I'm discipling a guy right now who gets up at five o'clock in the morning and he reads his Bible for one to two hours straight. He's just devouring it. You're telling me you can't carve out 10 minutes? You better start working your salvation out, Christian, or you will not shine brightly the way that Jesus intends for you to do. Hold fast to the word. It is life. And Paul says to these Philippians, listen, I want you to hold fast. I want you to work out your salvation. I want you to shine brightly without grumbling or complaining so that when I stand before Jesus one day, I will know I did not run in vain that my sacrifice wasn't for nothing. Paul goes, look, I'm, I'm willing to pour out my life as a sacrifice for your faith because I love you. It would be a joy for me to do that. But please don't let that be in vain. And with Paul, I would say to you guys this morning, as my church family, man, I, I don't want for us as a faith family to get to the end of our race and realize that the gospel was just words for us. I don't want to do that. I don't want to labor in vain. I don't want to run in vain. I want us to stand before Jesus one day as a people that were in the battle. Not just in word, but in deed. I want our, I want our lives to be marked by gospel scars from a life well lived, a life lived together as we work out our salvation together, as we learn how to shine brightly into the darkness that is this world. Let's not run in vain, church. Let's make every day count in the kingdom of Jesus for our joy and ultimately for his glory. Church, would you bow your heads with me as we close? The band's gonna come and ushers are gonna come to the table. We're about to celebrate what Jesus has done for us in a tangible way. But I want us to consider some questions as we prepare our hearts to come and celebrate what Jesus did. First, listen, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I need you to know that God wants to give you a new heart. 
God's desire is to give you a new heart. Now, we all need a new heart. We all need a new nature. We need new desires. And Jesus offers that to anyone who would come to him. He offers to make you a son or a daughter of the God of this universe today. And so if that's you, if you're here and you're not a Christian, just my encouragement to you, get to know God. And as he begins to work in you, you'll be able to work out what he's working in you. And it's incredible. There's no better life than a life lived with and for the God of this universe. And if you're here and you're already in, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, how are you working out what Jesus has worked in you? What sin is he convicting you of? right now and is your heart in a posture of worship or is your heart in a posture of grumbling complaining questioning dissatisfied with God dissatisfied with the life that he's given you and then the last thing would be this who's in your life right now that needs you to shine Christ to them is it a friend is it a classmate is it a co-worker is it a neighbor Who in your life right now needs what you have? The light of Jesus, who needs that? So Christian, what is Jesus asking you to do? And will you do it? God, would you you work in us, God? Would you help us not to run our race in vain? God, help our faith to be more than just words. Help us to work it out. Help us to live lives that shine brightly into the darkness of our world, God, so that people from all walks of life could see how big and how beautiful you really are. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.